Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We are continuing on the series of the enemies of prayer. And if you recall, last Sunday we took a whole lesson in our time together and dissected and looked at the enemy of complacency. How complacency will silence the voice of our prayers. Today we will continue with another enemy which I'd like to call a spirit of legalism. So today we're going to be speaking about how to break the spirit of legalism. I will explain what the word legalism means a little later. So if you found Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let's read it together. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is one of the most profound promises God gave to his people because of Jesus and because of what the Lord has done on the cross of Calvary for each one of us the word says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find his grace to help us in our time of need now to come boldly means to come without fear, without guilt, and without a sense of condemnation. It means to approach God's throne with full assurance of faith and confidence. With that kind of attitude, we receive from God whatever we ask in prayer according to His will. Now, this is the way the Father wants us to come to His throne, whether to worship Him or petition Him in prayer. We need to come boldly with confidence that God will hear our prayer and answer our prayer. Now, one of the major problems that we have in our churches today and of course a great hindrance to a lifestyle of prayer are feelings and thoughts of unworthiness, inferiority, feelings of shame, and thoughts of condemnation. Now these thoughts and negative emotions are destructive to our walk of faith but also to our lifestyle of prayer. 
No one can truly approach God with boldness and confidence and receive from Him if they consider themselves to be second-class Christians. Now, in reality, of course, there are no second-class Christians in the eyes of God, but only in the mind of the believer. So many in the family of God, I believe, continue to live below the God-given privileges because they're feeling unworthy. And they don't think they're good enough to receive God's best or God's blessing. So, of course, this is great hindrance to our prayer life. They find all sorts of reasons for not being able to receive, like, I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't know how to pray long prayers. Not good enough, etc. and on and on. While others think, because I'm not praying enough, or because I'm not reading my Bible as I should, and so many other reasons, they say, well, God cannot hear me because I'm not as spiritual as you, Pastor. Now, all such thinking is wrong, of course, because it is based on self-effort rather than the truth of the Word of God. God has declared in His Word that the believer in Christ is made worthy and is able to receive the blessing of the Lord on the basis of what Christ did on the cross and not on the individual's efforts or behavior. It's important for us to understand this and receive a revelation of it. God has declared in His Word that the believer in Christ, the one who has placed his confidence in the Lord and his trust in Christ is made worthy and righteous and is a recipient of all of the blessings of God on the basis of what Christ Jesus did for him on the cross and not on the individual's efforts or behavior. Now, this is what we call a legalistic attitude. And what it does, it puts people into bondage of guilt and condemnation. Legalists live in a cycle of condemnation and guilt, which destroys, of course, confidence in prayer. Now, to free ourselves from such feelings of guilt and unworthiness and condemnation, we have to go to the root of the problem and plug up this corrupt tree right from the roots. And let me explain to you the essence of legalism. And if you need to write this down, it'll help you. The essence of legalism, or the heart of legalism, is trusting in the religious activity rather than trusting in God. It is putting our confidence in a practice rather than in a person. And without fail, this will lead us to loving the practice more than loving the person. I'm going to repeat that because it's important for us to understand 
what the spirit of legalism does. The essence of legalism, it is trusting in a religious activity rather than trusting in God's word. It is putting our confidence in a religious practice rather than in a person. And without fail, this will lead us to loving the practice more than loving the person. So legalists feel unworthy because they trust in their own efforts rather than in God's grace. Trusting in our own efforts will always cause failure and disappointment. Not only that, but they are also very hard on themselves as well as on others because they measure their worth, listen to this, and their value on performance rather than purely on God's unconditional love. A legalist will be very hard on himself and very critical on others as well because they measure the worth and value on their performance rather than on God's unconditional love and grace. A good example of what I'm sharing with you is found in the book of Luke chapter 18. I, I will read it for you. I'm sure it's a, you all know it, is a, is a very well-known verse of Scripture. Jesus is speaking and he says, And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. Please notice that the Pharisee thought of himself as a righteous person based on his good works and religious efforts. He justified himself because of what he was doing. Now, his trust and faith, of course, was not in God's grace, but rather on his own good works and religious efforts. Now, this kind of attitude will ultimately lead us to pride and will puff a person up. Listen to this. If we could save ourselves through our own religious practices, then Jesus died in vain. Why would Jesus come if we could save ourselves through our religious practices? Prayer is good. Fasting is good. Giving is good. And we should all be doing that. But none of those things will make you any more righteous or any more worthy than you already are in the eyes of God. Now, the Galatian believers began well in the Spirit. They started in the Spirit, but the Bible says they perfected or they tried to perfect themselves in the flesh. They fell into this trap and Paul had to use some unpleasant words to pull them out of this deception. Listen to how he addresses them in Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. 
Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. The whole book of Galatians deals with this spirit of legalism. And it can destroy your church, it will destroy your prayer life, it will destroy your walk of faith. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 5. Listen to what Paul says to them. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having began in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law? or by the hearing of faith. What he is saying to them is that God works miracles among us and gives us his spirit not because we keep the law or some religious exercises or practices that we do, but because we believed what we heard through the message of the gospel that was preached. Now these believers, they reverted back to the law and they tried through their own works or through their own efforts to earn God's favor and God's blessing rather than trusting in the finished work of Christ. As a result, the Bible says they placed themselves under the curse. Now this is what happens to believers today who try to earn God's love. And they try to earn God's favor through their own religious efforts. They revert back to trusting in what they do or don't do rather than trusting in the grace of God. This is what the word says in Jeremiah chapter 17 to those who trust in themselves or trust in their own works. Or trust in the flesh. It's all one and the same. Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Notice that when you begin trusting in your works or trusting in yourself, your heart begins to depart from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see good when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The people who trust in the Lord, 
who place their trust in God's grace, in God's word, in God's promises, they will continue to bear fruit even in the drought and dry places. They are blessed wherever you place them, wherever you plant them, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the opposition, regardless of the persecution, they will always rise to the top and be blessed. Why? Because they trust in the Lord. But the man or a person who trusts in his own works or in himself rather than in God comes under the curse. And so we place ourselves under the curse when we place confidence in our flesh or in our own works rather than in Christ Jesus and what he has already done for us. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3 says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence in human effort. We don't need to add anything to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. It is finished. The sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient to present you holy and blameless before God. You're not a second-class Christian. You are worthy in His eyes, deserving every blessing, not because of you or because of what you did or did not do, but because of the work that Jesus has completed on the cross of Calvary. That's the foundation of the gospel of grace. God treats you with favor and with mercy on the basis of what Christ Jesus has done on your behalf and not on the basis of what you do or don't do. He treats you like you've never sinned because Jesus bore your sin on the cross. As a result, God sees us as righteous. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Who's righteous? The born-again believer. And the Bible says that his ears are open to your cry. Now, what does that do to your prayer when you know that the ears of the Lord are open to your cry, to your prayer, and his eyes are over you, watching you, listening to every word of prayer that you pray? Of course, this revives your prayer. You would want to pray. You would want to spend time in God's presence. But a, a legalistic mindset all it does, it puts this guilt and this condemnation on you that you, you, you crawl into God's presence rather than come with boldness and confidence. Now, the more we see ourselves as God sees us, the less likely we are to sin because we enter into a place of rest and confidence in the Lord. That's what the Bible calls the rest of God. Let us therefore be diligent to enter into the rest of God. A place of rest is a place of faith. When you truly know that God loves you unconditionally, 
and he treats you like a son and like a daughter and that he is pleased with you the more confident you become and faith will rise up within you to receive the best that God has for you and that's what faith does now this kind of approach and attitude brings you into a place of rest you are at rest because you have ceased from your own works from your own labors from your own efforts it is no longer you but Christ in you working through you as you take your rest and confidence in the Lord you are no longer rely on yourself but your reliance is in Christ you trust the finished work of God that he did on the cross through Jesus and you rejoice in that finished work so from that place of rest it is easy to obey it's not a struggle to obey the word it is not a struggle to obey the promptings of the Spirit. You learn to yield and to follow the Spirit of God. That's why the Word says, Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now this truth will set us free from condemnation, from feelings of shame, of guilt, of inferiority. We're not good enough. We're not praying enough. We're not... We're not reading our Bible enough. When you're free from all of that condemnation, then you relax in the presence of God and your prayer life will be revitalized. Now, in order to strengthen our faith in the finished work of Christ, we need to go to the Word of God regularly and find out what God says and what God thinks about you and how he sees you that is the key to our prayer life a lifestyle of prayer and that is the key to a faith that produces results see yourself as God sees you not as you see yourself not as other people may see you but as God sees you and only the word can paint that picture within your mind and in your heart you see, the Bible says that the truth will set you free. Free from what? Free from feelings and thoughts of unworthiness. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. Why? Well, because look at how I behave. And the more you look at your behavior, instead of looking at Christ's work on the cross, the more condemned, the more unworthy you feel. But the truth of the word will set you free from guilt from shame, from unworthiness. It will set you free from all manner of fear, from anxieties about tomorrow, about the future, and feelings of guilt and condemnation. Only the truth will set you free, that you are a child of God, that you are a son of God, a daughter of God. He cares for you. He loves you unconditionally. He has washed away your sins. He sees you as a righteous person, as holy and unblameable in his sight, and he welcomes your prayers. That encourages you to pray. Now, The word says in Romans chapter 8 verses 33 and 34. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. 
who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. What a wonderful, what a wonderful truth this is. No one can bring a charge against you because you are in Christ Jesus. God has silenced the accuser once and for all because you are in Christ, because you're a believer, because God justified you. Who is he who condemns? Not God. And you don't have to receive the devil's condemnation because it is Christ who died for you and is risen. And not only that, the Bible says is at the right hand of God making intercession for you right now. He never ceases to intercede for each and every one of us. What a wonderful promise. Now, you recall the woman who was caught in adultery and everyone wanted to stone her. They surrounded her like vicious wolves and they wanted to stone her. Listen to what Jesus did in John 8. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Condemnation is never from God. And there is a difference between conviction of the Spirit and condemnation. Condemnation is from the devil. And when you're feeling condemned, there's no way out. It's all dark. Jesus said, I do not condemn you. He didn't come to condemn us, but the Bible says he came so that the world might be saved through him. Now, the woman whom Jesus had forgiven and said, I don't condemn you anymore. Go and sin no more. She went her way and sinned no more. Why? Because she found love and she found acceptance in Jesus' heart. That was the key of her life in righteousness. Do you think, let me ask you this question, that it was difficult for that woman to seek out the Lord or spend time in his presence? You know, you love to spend time in the presence of someone that does not condemn you, that you feel accepted, that you feel loved and you feel welcomed. And so this woman went her way. She sinned no more because she found a home in Jesus' heart. She found forgiveness and acceptance and she found herself in his heart. Therefore, there was no need for her to sin anymore, trying to find fulfillment somewhere else. Of course not. It is not difficult to spend time in the presence of the one whom you know he loves you unconditionally. He has already accepted you. He has already welcomed you in his family. And he's willing to listen to your prayers. And he delights to spend time with you. Now, this woman experienced his love and forgiveness. So prayer becomes a joyous experience when you know that you are loved, when you know that you are accepted, when you know that you are appreciated by the one you are praying to and the one you are spending time with. And that's the secret to a lifestyle of prayer. It's a relational thing. It's a love affair. 
that keeps growing and maturing and, and, and going higher and deeper into the love and the acceptance of the Lord. Now, God is not giving us what we deserve. He's giving us what Jesus deserves. There's a difference. When you receive the revelation of God's unconditional love, you no longer have a desire to sin. The love of God fills your heart and you no longer seek or thirst for anything else. You see, when God created us, He created us with a vacuum. And that vacuum can only be filled and satisfied with the presence of the Lord. Nowhere else. That's why people without the Lord, without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they always seek to fill that vacuum with all sorts of things, with material things, with, with um, habitual sins. Why? Because the, that vacuum cries out. And the world has given us a lot of substitutes. But no one can fill that void, that vacuum, only the presence of the Lord and only as we walk in a loving relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's when we come to a place of rest. We rest from anxiety. We rest from our own efforts. We rest from our fears. We are no longer worried. We trust in the Lord because we know that as we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Jesus Himself said, all of these things will be added to you. Not taken from you, but added to you. So praise the Lord. When your heart, when our heart finds rest in the love of God, we are transformed by that love into the kind of person that Jesus wants us to be. Not by self-effort, but by faith in God's grace. Trusting in His grace. Grace is a person, is not a thing. And His name is Jesus. And as we rely and trust in Him, He works through us that which is pleasing to the Father. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, well-known verses says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you see, when we learn this, this truth, this truth becomes revelation. Prayer becomes a joyous experience. We we release ourselves from the burden, from the guilt of trying and trying to please God. You don't try. Jesus works through us as we rest and trust in Him and as we trust in His grace. No amount of prayer, no amount of good works will ever make us more worthy, more righteous than we already are. We need to accept that truth and allow the truth to transform our way of thinking and our way of living. Amen. Praise the Lord. Did you get something out of this today? So let's pray. Legalism is an enemy of prayer. It is an enemy of our faith. Why? Because it brings condemnation, guilt and shame. You're never good enough, no matter what you do. That's why a, a person who embraces a spirit of legalism and believes that through his own religious practices, 
justifies or earns God's favor and God's love, places himself under the curse of the law. And Father, we, we lift up our voice of thanksgiving to you for the truth of the gospel, the gospel of God's grace, that your grace is sufficient for us. We don't have to add anything to it. We don't have to take anything away from it. The finished work of Christ is enough. And his shed blood on the cross has made us righteous, has made us holy, has sanctified us and separated us unto yourself, Lord. May this truth, may this revelation fill our hearts and our minds. May each one of us today see ourselves as you see us in the light of the glorious gospel, washed in the blood, redeemed, blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places. We thank you for what you've done, dear Lord Jesus, and continue to do as we rely on you, you work in us and through us, and spread the fragrance of life and the fragrance of Christ to all around us. We give you thanks for the glorious gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.